Happy November, teacher friends. The holidays and a long winter break, hopefully, are in sight for you. You are so, so close. And I know this time of year also typically means you are approaching some sort of mid-year semester midterms. So I thought it was timely to do a mini-series on summative assessments and specifically how to authentically assess our students summatively. This week is going to be all about doing this in a non-traditional way in order to really create opportunities for all students to fairly share what they know. And then next week, I will talk about using summative assessments to prepare students for standardized tests that you may have around the corner or at the end of the year. But for now, let's talk all things related to non-traditional assessments. This is Secondary Science Simplified podcast for secondary science teachers who want to engage their students and simplify their lives. I'm Rebecca Joyner from It's Not Rocket Science. As a high school science teacher turned curriculum writer, I am passionate about helping other science teachers love their jobs, serve their students, and do it all in only 40 hours a week. Are you ready to rock the time you spend in your classroom and actually have a life outside of it? You are in the right place, teacher friend. Let's get to today's episode. So when I say that I want to talk about how to assess students authentically, I mean in a way that actually matters. How to make the most authentic assessments, which to me tend to be non-traditional, because these tend to be the way that I find that students can best express what they know when they're given a lot of different avenues to do that and not a really specific, strict way in the form of a test. Now, I touch on this in my episode about assessments in the curriculum design series from last January. So if you go back and check out episode 87, you can hear me talk about this. And I also talk about this a bit in my episode about dealing with cheating from September, which was episode 94. So I have mentioned how I feel about non-traditional summative assessments before, but today I want to specifically cover why I recommend incorporating them and then four practical tips for how to do it. So first, the why. And if there's one thing I learned over my you know six plus years in the classroom full time, it is that our students are more than a test. Okay, they are so much more than a test score. I have so many students that I genuinely felt like they had an understanding that was not representative of what their test scores would be. I truly feel like test anxiety is a real thing. And I know not everyone agrees with me there, but I have students that just really struggle when they get into that test environment. And so I found that if I was able to incorporate these non-traditional summative assessments in my classroom, in addition to my traditional unit tests, it really just served my students so much better. I really found that tests were limiting in the way that I was assessing them. There are so many other ways that students can demonstrate their knowledge and their understanding outside of their ability to discern the best answer to a multiple choice question. So I wanted to create opportunities for my students to do that. I've told you before, but I had no education in my undergraduate teaching program about how to write assessments or how to write tests specifically. But in my graduate program, when I got my master's, I did have courses on that. And I was fascinated to learn how hard it is to actually write a test that is a good, fair assessment. A lot of tests, you know, assess memorization or reading comprehension more than anything else. Like, especially when I think of the AP bio exam, 
to me, that is a reading comprehension test. It is not like a biology understanding test, but that's a tangent for another day. I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole, but I will say like, if that's what you want to assess your students for, then, you know, you can write that kind of test. You can write a reading comprehension based test. But for me, I just felt like, why not provide a multitude of opportunities for my students to show what they know? Some students can show that well on a test others can't. And I'm not saying eliminate all tests. Like we're going to talk about this next week about why I actually think tests can be really helpful tools, even if you don't have a standardized test that you're kind of moving towards. But I do like to do unit tests. You all know that. Like if you own any of my instant market science resources, you know, I include unit tests for every unit. But on top of that, I want there to be other opportunities as well. I think especially if you are in any sort of virtual teaching setting, it's going to be really challenging to give tests that actually authentically assess your students because it's so easy for them to cheat. I don't care if you have some sort of software that blocks off their screen or you make them zoom in for their test or whatever. Like if it's not a test in person, it's just so much easier to cheat. And then I feel like those that aren't cheating then kind of get punished because they're not cheating, so they maybe won't do as well as the kids that are cheating. So to me, it's just kind of like a lose-lose situation. And so I find, especially in a virtual teaching setting, a non-traditional assessment is going to make it more challenging for your students to cheat, but also make it a lot easier for you to see maybe what they really understand. And again, I know many of you teach in a state with a standardized like end-of-course exam. I do the same. I'm in South Carolina. We have an EOC for biology. And I also taught AP biology. So I've taught to an AP exam, which is a standardized test. I'm not saying ditch the test entirely. You know, again, all next week is going to be about using these tests, you know, to help you in that. And especially, I I still think education is changing, but it changes at a snail's pace. And I went to a large state university where especially my like 100 and 200 level classes, I was in classrooms with 300 students. And my grade was four tests given throughout the semester. Each one was 25% of my grade. That was it. And so I needed to know how to take tests and to take them well, not just like understand content. So I do think there is a place for practicing these test taking skills. That's what next week's episode is for. But in this episode, I just want to encourage you to add in these authentic assessments on top of those traditional summative assessment opportunities. Now you might be thinking, how do I have the time to grade these, Rebecca? And that's where I would really encourage you to go back if you haven't already and listen to the episodes we covered in September. September, I shared a lot about my grading practices. I said again, episode 94 is about dealing with cheating, how to prevent it, how to deal with it when it occurs. Episode 95 is about how to scale back, how to grade less so you can provide more effective feedback. Episode 96 is why I chose to stop assigning homework. And, you know, kind of some surprising things that came from that that I wasn't anticipating. And then episode 97 is I share six grading practices that changed my life. So I think if you are following along and tracking with me on these grading things, you're hopefully creating more capacity and more space so that you can grade these types of projects and extra, you know, assessments to understand your students better and to understand, you know, what they're learning. Obviously, I love grading a good test. It's like so easy for me to grade a test. I can grade them so quickly. And that's not even like using a Scantron, even open response. 
I have ways that I've written tests that I can make them grade really quickly. So it's not necessarily about that. Obviously, that's going to be faster, but I still think it's important for our students to create these additional opportunities. That's kind of my why. I really want students to have those variety of ways to show me what they know. And then it helps in the grade book. Like, I don't know how your grade book is set up, but mine, I always had a major category and a minor. You could also think of them as formal or informal or summative versus formative. And so that major, that formal, that summative, that was always your test category. And then the other was kind of like everything else you do, labs, homework, practice problems, you know, activities, you name it. But in that major category, I would put grades that weren't tests. I would put projects and lab reports and, you know, maybe you're going to do some sort of oral exam idea where you're actually talking to the students and having them verbally explain things out loud. That can be really easy, a lot easier for your students, especially if they have, you know, a learning challenge like dyslexia where actually getting the words on paper can be really challenging, but they can articulate it verbally a lot easier. You know, I would still put these grades in with the test grades and it would help average out in that category and kind of buffer for those students that the test grades were really a challenge for them. Okay, so that's kind of the why. I feel really passionate about creating these opportunities for students to show what they know in different ways. Now let's talk about the how. So in order to write these non-traditional assessments in a way that is really authentic and really effective and still gonna get you towards that end goal, The first thing I would encourage you to do is make a list of qualities you want your students to have when they leave your classroom, okay? Make a list of those qualities. Personally, I don't want my students to just know a lot of science and just be able to pass an EOC exam. Although, you know, when I was in a district where I had an EOC exam, I did have to care about that because it was a part of my job description and part of how I was evaluated. But when I really think about my students, as a human being, I care a lot more about the type of person they are growing into and how that translates to them having success after high school. So when I'm thinking about some of the qualities that I put on my list, which can totally be different from yours, but I really wanted my students to be critical thinkers and problem solvers. You know, can my students analyze problems and determine solutions? Do they kind of have some built-in grit to them where they can approach, they can, you know, be given a problem that they don't initially understand and not feel defeated about it because I have equipped them with strategies to attack problems and critically think about them. This is why I love my radar problem-solving strategy I've talked about on the podcast before, and I like I push out so hard in the chemistry curriculum and I build it into like how I'm even writing out the work for those problems as I'm teaching those because it's such a quantitative science. But I love radar because I love teaching my students how to problem solve. I always tell them like you should never leave a problem completely blank on my assessments because I've given you the strategies. I'm teaching you strategies so that you can always start to at least work through it. So that's one thing that's really important to me. And I put that into how I'm assessing students and how I'm teaching them. Another thing I really want in my students is I want them to be quality writers and clear communicators. Like, can my students express their thoughts clearly and succinctly, both in written and oral capacities? I don't know about you, but when I was in high school, I learned how to be a BSer, okay? And I'm not going to say that out loud because I don't want an explicit rating on this podcast, but most of you can figure out what the BS stands for. I learned how... If the teacher told me I needed to write a 10-page paper for AP English language, I was like, let's go. I know how to fluff better than anyone else. Like I can put in 
all the extra fluff to get to that word limit or to get to my lab report has to be five pages done. Like I, I can do that. And then I got to college and I'll never forget. Um, I was in the honors college at Clemson and I had an honors like seminar kind of independent research study course my freshman year first semester they'd give us like an essay topic that you traditionally see but then they'd say like no more than 250 words like it was like a crazy word limit sometimes it was a hundred words you get a hundred words to explain what you thought about this entire book we just read and it was such a good challenge for me because all I'd been trained to do in high school was fluff and bs my way to a page limit because teachers always gave me a page limit And then in college, one of my very first professors was like, I don't want to read this. I want you to be as succinct and clear as possible. And I'm even thinking as an oral communicator, like when I'm talking to you guys on this podcast, when I'm writing a blog post, when I'm having conversation after conversation in my emails, like you guys don't want to read a 3.5 paragraph essay in my emails. You want me to address, to see your need, address it and answer it and then like let you go about your day. You know, I'm not trying to be short with you. I'm trying to be concise because I know that your time is valuable. And so it's really trained me to really treat words with a lot more value and really think a lot harder about what I say. And I want to teach that to my students. Like I want them to be high quality writers, not high quantity writers. I get a lot of times when people ask me about formal lab reports, which I have a lot of thoughts about formal lab reports too. So hopefully that'll come in a future episode. But People will ask me like, how long do you expect your students' lab reports to be? And I always tell them, just like I told my students, as short as you can make it while still answering everything thoroughly. Like, I don't want you to write a long paper because I don't want to read a long paper. And so that's something I think about. And that's a quality I want to develop in my students, especially that oral communication. As time has gone on, I'm not trying to like, you know, throw all the Gen Zers under the bus. But I've really seen in this Gen Z, you know, generation is the inability to articulate themselves orally and to like have a social conversation and to be able to uphold a conversation. And I, I think it makes sense. They're so good at talking to a screen and recording themselves on a video talking. But when it comes face to face, that's something they really struggle with. And I think now more than ever, if I was in the classroom full time, I would be wanting to create situations where my students had to talk to me to my face and explain to me what they know to my face. I think that's a really important skill. A third thing I really want in my students is I want to create creators. Like, can my students think outside the box? And I don't just mean creatively in terms of like an artistic format. I am not an artistic person, but I would say I'm a creative person. And I think it really comes from the fact that I did go to a, I went to a public school growing up, but it had a magnet program for the arts. And so from fourth through 12th grade, I was a dance major. And so I had dance for like two, maybe three hours a day. And then I had my traditional academic classes, but especially when I was in fourth or through eighth grade, when our magnet program was like isolated in its own building, all of our teachers were extremely creative. Like, yes, I had creative writing and creative movement and theater and we all played an instrument and, you know, we had all these other things. But in my academic classes, our teachers were all extremely artistic and creative with their minds. And they made a lot of different opportunities for us to think outside the box. And I think that's something that's really carried me so well in life. And I think that's what's made me 
you know, love writing curriculum and I think be pretty decent at it is because I had teachers that always push me to think outside the box. And I, you know, when I'm writing curriculum, I'm thinking like, okay, this is a challenging topic. How can I think outside the box to create an instructional resource that will be simple for teachers to execute, but engaging for students and really help them get it. And it's because I had teachers that pushed me. So that's something I want to push my students. I want to, I want to foster them to be creative out of the box thinkers. And then a fourth thing is I want my students to be team members. Are my students good at collaborating and keeping peace? You know, as a parent, this is something we talk about all the time in my house. Like you have to find a way to play together in a way that's fun for everyone. You guys have to work together. You have to keep the peace. We're going to be peacemakers and problem solvers. Is something is like a refrain in my house. Am I being a peacemaker and a problem solver? And I think about that with myself too as an adult. Like that is a challenge for me when I'm in a conflict or if I'm in a group of people, like, or especially I think when something like doesn't go my way in a situation, am I going to create conflict or am I going to create peace? Am I going to solve problems or am I just going to complain? You know, these are qualities I'm trying to instill in my own children and I want to instill in my students. Okay. So maybe not all my students are going to get a five on their AP biology exam or even a three, but If I can create students that are critical thinkers, you know, that have that grit, that are quality writers and clear communicators, that are creators, that are team members, then I have been a hundred percent successful in my school year. They will leave my class with a toolbox of skills useful for life. And I really think this is something we've we've lost track of as teachers and it's not our fault. Like I think all of the demands of the job and all of the pressure from parents and admin has sucked some of the life out of teaching where like teaching truly used to be about imparting these life skills. And now it's about, you know, their grades and getting the scholarship to whatever school and da da da. And so I think it's, you're really going to have to work against the grain to instill these things, but I just genuinely think it's so worth it. And then I think at the end of the year, when you look back at your year and you're looking back at your goals, it's not just going to be about like quantitatively analyzing your you know, your EOC average or your class average, whatever, you're going to look at your individual students and be like, I made a difference because I taught them these skills. And so that's the first thing I want to challenge you to do is make your own list. Okay. Make this list and make this be your target as well as your guide throughout the school year as you're creating assessments and as you're just having conversations with students, as you're thinking about how you want to interact with them. And the second thing I would encourage you to do is brainstorm ways to assess your students in those specific areas, okay? What's a different way I could assess my students, okay? Think outside of the box. All right, like I said, one of the things on my list, one of my qualities is I want my students to be quality writers and clear communicators. And so how can I strengthen that skill and also use it to assess my students in unique ways and help them to show me that they've developed this skill? Okay, so one thing is I want them to grow as technical writers. You know, yes, this is where lab reports come in, but it doesn't even have to be a formal lab report. It can even just be with like how they're answering reflective questions or how they're answering analysis questions. It could also be research papers, persuasive writing assignments. I can potentially collaborate with the English teacher on this and be like, how can I grow them in this, but also make sure they're answering their questions succinctly, okay? Because I don't want quantity writers, quality writers instead. I also want to challenge them as creative writers because that kind of goes with that being a creator and thinking outside the box. That's why you'll see in my biology curriculum, you know, little activities where it's like they have to create a fairy tale 
come up with an analogy, write a rap. Like I'm just trying to get them to stretch their brain in that way. And I really want to build their ability to reflect in their thinking and in their writing. So can they write or speak on their learning experiences and correct previously held misconceptions or rethink how they would have approached the lab if they had a chance to do it again? Like, I think that's a simple question we tend to write in lab write-ups. It's like, what would you do differently next time? What would you tell the next group to do it? But that's a really powerful question. Like if you were going to tell the next group of students coming in how they should do this differently to get, you know, better results, what would you say? That's a good thinking exercise. And then of course, I want to incorporate growth in their writing skills and their problem solving. So that's when I'm really teaching them how to do those CER style questions. And I'm putting that in our class discussions. Like if you're going to make a claim in this class, let's back it up with evidence and reasoning. You know, it's not just about what's the question on the test. It's about what are the conversations I'm having with my students and am I having those conversations? It doesn't always have to be this oral exam. Like you don't have time for that to orally interview every single student, but are you having discussions with students every day? That is like such an underutilized resource that we can have. And then I also want you to consider asking yourself this question for every unit. Am I going to nurture every single one of these skills and qualities every unit? You know, probably not, but Am I being consistent with creating some sort of alternative option outside of a test every unit? If I can, that is such a win. And I know that can feel overwhelming. So maybe you just start with one per quarter and then kind of build from there. But that's kind of where my third tip comes in is you're going to build on these skills throughout the year by shooting for one alternative assessment per unit. That would be like the end goal. If you need to start smaller, again, one per quarter. But when I'm planning out my units, I'm making sure I'm thinking of these as I go. So I think this is important because again, it helps your students see that there's more than one way to show that they know something. It provides them with different learning, you know, students with those different learning preferences and learning abilities and thought processes to thrive because they know like, okay, I may struggle on the test, but I can also show what I know in this way. And then it also really helps to balance out, like I said, if they do have a bad test grade from an, you know, a numerical standpoint, these can kind of average in. And it doesn't always have to be like this massive creative arts project, or it doesn't always have to be a formal lab report. Like it could be an oral exam, research paper, lab practical, group project, you know, you name it. <laughs> the possibilities are endless. And it doesn't always have to be the same worth as a test. Like My tests are 100 points in my major grade category, but my alternative assessment may be 50 points, okay? Because it may, you know, be a smaller thing that they do. But I do recommend putting these grades in the same category in your grade book that you have your test so that, again, they're given that value and you're treating them like this matters and I'm treating this on the same level as like a summative assessment, like a test. And my last tip for this is work smarter, not harder. Get student input. I cannot tell you how much I feel like we as high school teachers underutilize the room full of brilliant and thoughtful minds right in front of us every day. If you are getting motivated to maybe try some alternative summative assessments from this episode, great. And if you can't think of practical ideas, ask your students. Okay, see what they think. Here's why I love using their opinions. One is they often come up with things I never would have thought of. And you can just ask them, like, how could you demonstrate your understanding about cells rather than just taking a test on cells and see if they just have any sort of ideas? 
Another thing is it kind of creates buy-in for the assessment from your students because their voices get heard, okay? I also think it models teamwork for them and showing how we can work together and use everyone's assets for the good of the whole. And then, you know, they may want to work together in groups and if they may not. And if they do, you can let them. I think that's a great opportunity too, if you're trying to build those team building skills and all that to create that group opportunity. Now, I will say if you ever do any sort of group assessment, I think it should be done entirely in class. There's a lot of equity issues when you start to expect students to do things outside of school hours, because there are students in your classroom that have jobs that are taking care of their siblings. They literally cannot meet up and do a group project and we don't want to disadvantage them. So I think if you're going to do a group assessment, it needs to all be done in class. But I just want to encourage you, if you're hitting a roadblock, just coming up with ideas, ask your students this week. You know, you can look on the internet too. There's some great creative teachers out there that have made awesome choice boards and students can make a choice of terms of like how they want to be assessed. And you can reuse those choice boards unit after unit and just tweak how it looks for each unit. But I think these are great opportunities to let students have some ownership of their learning and showing what they know. And now I know midterm exams are coming up. And this is a great time. Like if you haven't tried to do some sort of like non-traditional assessment, Midterms are such a good time. And I have a whole episode with specific midterm ideas that are unique from just doing a test. And you can check those out in episode 51. And if you want to do a midterm test, that's fine too. Like y'all know I'm not anti-midterm tests. I have entire midterm and final exam packs in my store for biology, physical science, and anatomy. And the chemistry ones will come whenever I finish writing the chemistry curriculum. But so I'm not anti that also, but I just hope This episode inspired you to maybe consider adding in some alternative assessment formats for the remainder of the school year. Now, I will not leave you hanging though on tests. I know you guys need recommendations for using tests and and specifically using tests to prepare your students for those benchmark exams and those standardized exams. And so stay tuned. We will talk about all of that in next week's episode. And if you want to see any of those links that I reference, especially those episodes where I've kind of already started talking about these topics, you can find links to those in the show notes at it's not rocket science classroom.com slash episode 103. And I would love to encourage you if you haven't already left a rating and a review, especially if you're listening on Apple podcast, that is so helpful for supporting this podcast. And I would love to encourage you today, if you are doing a non-traditional midterm exam, you know, coming up in the next month or so, go ahead and leave a review for the podcast. I would love to hear from you. And again, I hope this inspires you. I hope it encourages you, but doesn't overwhelm you. Remember, we can start small, just shooting with one new assessment per quarter, and then go from there. And if not, if you're not ready to do that and you just want to talk more about tests, come back next week for episode 104. All right, teacher friends, that wraps up today's episode. If you're looking for an easy way to start simplifying your life as a secondary science teacher, head to itsnotrocketscienceclassroom.com slash challenge to grab your classroom reset challenge. And guess what? It's totally free. Thanks so much for tuning in and I'll see you here next week. Until then, I'll be rooting for you, teacher friend.